Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Wow, this is episode six, and I have a special surprise for everybody today, our first ever guest on the podcast. And this first guest, I'll give you some clues to guess who it is. I met this guest in Hawaii during my college years. And this guest plays a special part of my life. And this guest really enjoys board gaming, family time, and occasional camping. He's starting to enjoy. And his name is Seth, and he's my husband. Woo! Hi there. <laughs> Was that a good intro? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Anything else you'd like everybody to know about you? Um, I think you covered it pretty well. I mean, yeah, basically board games, camping, family time. Yeah, with those, I'm pretty happy. So I said camping, but the thing is, that's more of my thing that I wanted to get into. But Seth told me yesterday when we were out at the campground that it's becoming his thing too because he's enjoying it. That's is that true. accurate? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing about the camping? Um, I think I enjoy sitting in a nice camping chair, just the right distance from the fire. And just, yeah, it was extremely comfortable when we were camping yesterday. The It was like the perfect temperature and pretty shady with the trees. So I just enjoyed sitting there. Um, all cozy, nothing to do, nothing to, no productive things that I could do. I just was able to sit there. It was really nice. So Seth and I are both really passionate about this topic for today's episode. And it's something that we've been learning a lot about in over the past couple years, would you say? Yeah. Um, And it's kind of differentiating guilt and shame and why shame isn't helpful and what we can do to let go of shame and how to recognize in our lives. Does that cover it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that shame for me before didn't, uh, I, I think I've heard shame defined now in a way that's made it more helpful for me. And uh, the definition I've heard that is is helpful to understand why shame is negative is shame is the feeling of I am bad, whereas guilt is I did something bad. Uh, shame always really targets your identity. Yeah. This is something that we're both passionate about because we think that this is important for everybody as a human being to learn and understand. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> I think that for us, like, it doesn't really matter who you are or where you're at in life or... um I think that this is something that affects almost everybody, if not everybody. Yeah, I think everyone does experience this. And um, I think shame is in a lot of ways tolerated. It's it's something we use as to try to motivate ourselves. We try to motivate ourselves with shame of being like, I I can't believe I'm doing this. What's wrong with me? I I need to be I need to do this. Like I I can't be this way. I should be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah, and uh the the problem is that shame uh shame has been shown to have a lot of negative outcomes. There's 
it's associated with a number of mental health disorders and including depression, anxiety, personality disorders, and low self-esteem. Yeah. So that's kind of why we want to talk about this today and kind of have a conversation about how we can recognize shame in our lives, let go of it. And I, we think that shame is kind of an opposition to empathy and vice versa, that empathy is a powerful tool in removing shame and letting go of shame. Um, I would say also along with empathy, like self-compassion and kindness is a great tool um, to use to relieve ourselves of shame, to let go of it, to combat those negative effects. Um, Yeah, so we're excited to talk about that today. So just to define a little bit more what guilt is versus what shame is, um, we've been learning from various resources and learning about these topics, but kind of the way I've made sense of it in my head is guilt. As a religious people, we believe that there needs to be some kind of moral conscience or moral direction of when to know, you know, am I growing closer to God or am I growing further from him? And I see guilt as being like a little spiritual wound, Um, kind of like when you experience pain in your body or you see that you're, you got a scrape and it's bleeding. It's a signal to you. Okay. My body needs some care. I'm going to go to the doctor or I'm going to um, put on a bandaid or clean the wound. And so for me, guilt is kind of like this spiritual wound where it's not like necessarily um, like causing you, I don't really see it as like, suffering anymore. I see shame as being more of kind of like a a really heavy and and more like damaging thing. And I see guilt as being this message to your spirit of like something's not quite right. Why don't I go see the doctor of my soul? Because to me guilt is an invitation. It's not a it's not a deterrent that makes me want to run away or hide from God. It's something that makes me want to come to him because I believe in the savior as the master healer. And so guilt is like this, this kind of recognize, recognizing in my soul, something doesn't feel quite right to me, or I feel some kind of wound in me. And I want to go to the savior because I know that he can help me with it. And I, I think one interesting thing about shame is that shame doesn't really lead you to anywhere. It just, it's, it's hopeless. It's, it's kind of lead it. Like you're saying, guilt can lead us toward God or leave us, lead us toward the savior. I don't think shame does that. In yeah. And I would argue that shame, shame, the voice of shame says hide from God and probably hide from others too. But we're going to talk about more about that now. Yeah. So there's, there's actually uh I, I believe it's a book by D.L. Nathanson. Um, it may be a paper. It's a paper, a book, but he he talks about a, a concept in psychology that he's developed called the compass of shame. And what the compass of shame is, is it's a, it, you just think of the, the four points of a compass going up, down, left, and right. And um, shame is that feeling of I am bad. And According to his research, that leads us to respond in uh, primarily in four different ways. And spoiler alert, all four of the the outcomes of the actions we take when we feel shame are negative. Yeah. Well, can I interject there? Yeah. I think that 
it's interesting because these are outcomes that will come if we listen to shame, right? If yeah. we follow shame, if we let shame dictate where we're going. But I think that something to remember, especially as believers of Christ or any anybody who believes in, you know, um, like goodness versus wrongness or or even like personal well-being and health is that when you're finding yourself falling into this negative shame pattern, you always have a choice. You have a chance to say, wait, I'm going to break out of this shame. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lead to where it's taking me. I'm not, not going to follow where it's taking me. Yeah. I'm not going to believe the feeling that I am bad. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to sit with this feeling and I, I believe that I I'm good and that, you know, I, you're right that there is, these aren't inevitable consequences. There's there's work we can do to break out of these patterns. And let's talk about that at the end um, after we go into this compass. But we'll come back to talk about, you know, what things can we do to get out of that shame cycle? Yeah, so I'm going to briefly talk about the first uh, point of the compass. This one is, so this is on the, the diagram he, he has drawn. The, the first point of the compass pointing north is called withdrawal. Um, and he says withdrawal involves uh, viewing the shame as valid and withdrawing from situations in which it is felt. It, basically, you're withdrawing from situations in an attempt to minimize your exposure to shame. So that includes isolating from people or situations that are shaming, running away, drawing into yourself and cutting off connections. Um and it, this is really interesting. We also kind of have religious context for uh, a situation that really resembles this. Um, and that's Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. I wanted to dive into a couple of scripture verses with this one, because this is, this part is huge for me of like, to me, I really recognize shame when I'm getting an internal message, uh, internal message to hide from God or to cut that part of myself off from other people. Um, so in the book of, let's see, in Moses from the Pearl of Great Price, in chapter four, we read about um, the time when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit in the Garden of Eden. They recognized that they were naked. They sewed aprons out of fig leaves, and they heard the voice of the Lord God as they were walking in the garden. And it says, Adam and his wife went to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And I, the Lord God, called unto Adam and said unto him, Where goest thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I beheld that I was naked, and I hid myself. I think this is really interesting because Adam is saying, from what I understand, Adam is saying that he hid himself from God because he recognized he was naked. And I think that this is where shame can come in to our lives. I'm I'm thinking about naked being the most vulnerable vulnerable state for your body to be in. And I think that the same goes for our spirit or our soul that when we're in a really vulnerable place or we see um we have insecurities about um kind of like our naked soul with God, um sometimes we have this this shame of like I should hide this from him. I should hide um my nakedness, whether it's spiritual or physical from God. And the funny thing is like, if God really is our creator, then he knows 
Like he knows what a body looks like, <laughs> but he also knows what a spirit and a soul looks like. If he created us, then he knows all of the details of our, of our souls. He, there's nothing that we could hide from him or need to hide from him for him to love us completely and fully. But shame is this voice that will say, you need to hide this from God because it's too ugly for him or it's not okay for him to see this part of you. And, and really when, when we kind of give into the shame and do withdraw from others or from God, um, that loss of connection, I think is the biggest casualty in that we, we lose connections with other people and we lose connection with God because we're not willing to, uh, uh, we're not willing to share ourselves We're we're trying to avoid possible, the possibility of shame by withdrawing ourselves. And I think it's obvious that that's not healthy. Yeah, and this the same account happens in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3. This is around verses 7 through 10, um, when Adam says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And I think that being afraid when you're in a vulnerable position is really natural. It's almost like human instinct or human nature. It's like, I see that I'm in a vulnerable position. I don't want to expose myself further. Like, I need to take, I need to hide myself or protect myself. And this goes a lot with what we've been talking about um, along the lines of empathy of when we find ourselves in these difficult moments, when there's big emotions and vulnerability, it's really easy to feel kind of threatened by that unknown and that loss of control um, or that vulnerability and to want to hide or to cut, to cut that vulnerability off or to hide those feelings and emotions. Yeah. And I think what empathy does is it creates, it creates this inclusion and an ability to to be broken together. It it's it, in a lot of ways it diffuses shame's energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Erica. Yeah. Oh, I went to this amazing breakfast cafe this morning. Really? Yeah. It had so much stuff. It had bacon, eggs, quiche, orange juice chocolate milk, every cereal you can imagine. It was delicious. Ooh, I love quiche. Did you try some? Yes. I actually took one slice and then I realized I better take two just in quiche. Ow. All right. After that shameless pun, we're going to get back into talking about... (laughs) That was pretty bad. Yeah, that was... (laughs) Thanks, Erica, for your help helping me set that one up. Uh, <laughs> so we talked about how one point of the compass of shame is withdrawal. Um, a second point of this compass is attack self. Um, that involves seeing this shame is valid, and then you turn your anger inward. Um, this most often looks like self-criticism and self-depreciation, um, contempt and disgust towards yourself. Um is I think often a result of this. And the problem is it just amplifies shame. <laughs> it's yeah. like this kind of, uh, it's like shame's already already unhelpful and, and damaging, but then to kind of turn yourself against yourself, it just amplifies the effects of that. Yeah. So with withdrawal and attack self are actually related in that they both kind of accept the shame is valid. Um, the other two points of the compass are, um, tend to like they actually reject shame but in unhealthy ways so the third point of the compass is called avoidance 
avoidance sounds a lot like withdrawal, but avoidance is us kind of trying to to almost numb out of the the feelings of shame or try to medicate them with things like alcohol or or drugs or pornography or um, we're trying to escape the feeling of shame, but we tend to do it in uh, we're kind of internally trying to avoid the shame rather than withdraw where we're we're kind of physically removing ourselves from connections with people and places. It's almost like we're removing ourselves from the feeling. Yeah. Creating this kind of buffering effect inside of yourself where you're like, I don't want to feel this. I'm going to, whether it's conscious or not, you're doing other things to avoid that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's challenging because it, uh, avoidance really, uh, that kind of avoidance there, there's tons of evidence that things like alcohol and and drugs and pornography are all negative things. We don't need to go over that big list of things here, but um, it's, it's interesting that like um, Shane is a really painful emotion. And I think we Mm -hmm. try to, we're, we're trying to, we're uh, sometimes it's so painful that we'll do anything to get rid of it. Yeah. It's making me think of in the, one of the past episodes I talked about um, OCD and how, in the OCD cycle, there's phases of obsession, which means fearful thoughts or feelings, um, intrusive thoughts and feelings, which leads to distress, anxiety, which leads to compulsive behaviors to try to neutralize and get rid of those bad feelings or those difficult feelings. And the relief that comes is not real. It's temporary and it it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. That's making me think about this because I think that in my personal experience, like shame has been a big motivator in my OCD cycle, like a big factor in it that has caused me to engage in compulsive behaviors. Um, even things like abandoning self-trust and, and seeking to trust other people and seek reassurance from them because I feel like my own feeling of self-worth is just gone. And I'm trying to escape from this, this idea that I don't even, I don't even trust or, or feel value in myself as an individual. So I'm starting to seek it from other people or kind of like this, this fruitless seeking of ways to numb my own inner pain Mm -hmm. of shame. Yeah. And I think I've, I've mentioned in previous episodes too, that some of my shame has come from things like being autistic or being queer And I thought that they were things I couldn't talk about that I had to hide that just exactly what we're talking about with shame of it causing you this need to hide, to think that you're bad or unworthy of love, unworthy of God's love. Um, I've experienced some of those things in my life where I felt like this, this unworthiness of, of the things that I was dealing with where I had to, to hide and then fall into compulsive behaviors to avoid that which is no fun. And I think that we're going to get into this soon, but like, how can we, how can we debunk shame in a healthy way? Right. These are, you're saying, Mm -hmm. these are denying or rejecting shame, but in unhealthy ways. So we'll talk soon about how we're going to do that in healthy ways. Yeah. Just the, the last point of the compass, this one is opposite of attack self is attack others. And shame really targets you, your core and your value, your identity. And Sometimes when when none of those other when withdrawal and attack self and avoidance are not working well enough, I think often this is where people end up is this attack others. We belittle others verbally, 
physically um mm-hmm. we, bullying i think is a lot of times rooted um in someone's own uh lack of confidence in themselves in their own uh self-loathing and uh yeah attacking others is another outcome of shame that's really negative yeah. even blaming i think that's a common response when we're feeling our own deep insecurity in ourselves, and so it's easier to like blame other people than to acknowledge that dr finlayson fife she has an amazing podcast and we love listening to the things she shares but she talks a lot about um just so many different she has so many ways of saying it but basically when we're insecure within ourselves it just becomes a lot easier to judge others to blame others um in an attempt to like build ourselves up mm-hmm. because we're feeling pain we're feeling shame i think we should talk about a little bit now that we've mentioned the four um pieces of that compass like what does shame actually feel like because we've mentioned it feels like you know maybe this desire to hide yourself to hide from god it feels like i am bad but i think the emotions attached to that they get pretty ugly and difficult to deal with would you agree yeah like i think that it's like this feeling of self-loathing or this feeling of fear Um, i think there's like a deep fear or insecurity that comes when when you're feeling shame because shame questions your very foundation it questions your worth and as members of the church we believe that a person's worth is unchanging that god's love is unchanging for a person and we even believe that although we want to repent and become more like jesus christ that sinning doesn't change our worth our worth is just always there it's like this unchanging unwavering foundation in our lives as children of god and shame questions that it tries and i think that's why i i equate shame with the voice of satan the enemy of god because while god says i will always love you no matter what that's unchanging your worth is unchanging you're my child satan's voice says you know are you really a child of god or you know even when he talked to moses and in several instances in the scriptures he he asks someone to deny them who they really are he asks you to say well do you really believe in you're a child of god because maybe you're not you know or are you sure about this and i think that that voice puts into question all of the foundational truths that we most need to survive spiritually does that make sense yeah yeah so do you think that um here's a follow-up question um do you for a long time in my life i I kind of used shame as I tried to use it as a way to improve myself because I was like, hey, if I don't, if I'm not hard on myself, I'm just going to slip into a bunch of negative behaviors. And so I would kind of justify my own use of shame as, uh, oh, no, I'm in it. I'm just keeping myself in line type of thinking is um, is that kind of shame. okay? I think this is such an important question. And I think first we should just acknowledge that this is a really common thing for maybe for human beings, but I think especially within uh, church membership, because we believe in like a gospel of progression. Like we believe that God has a plan for us and that it's a plan of growth and progress. And we have a lot of talk about becoming perfect someday or becoming complete and whole someday um, through the savior, Jesus Christ, um, throughout this plan that God has for us. And so we have this like really strong drive to 
always be improving, right? Yeah. It's like a pretty strong piece of our church culture. Unfortunately, I think that shame does often play a play a role in this um, because we have this fear that like, like you said, if we don't kind of force ourselves into goodness, that will fall the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. But like, what does that sound like? What does it mean for us to be shaming ourselves in an attempt to become more righteous? I think it's, uh, it is motivated by, you, I mean, I've heard it said that you can't hate yourself into loving yourself. I mean, mm. you, well, you can't hate yourself into good behavior. Like it's, it's, if you want good results with yourself, you need to treat yourself kinder. You can still motivate change using, uh, like you can, you can still motivate change and create change in yourself without shame. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it's more lasting and it's mm -hmm. more positive. Yeah. And maybe change that's inspired by faith instead of change that's inspired by fear and shame. Cause shame mm -hmm. is fear. Yeah. Shame is, shame is the feeling of, if I'm not good enough now, maybe I never will be. Mm -hmm. Or um, one real life example for me was when I got back from my mission. Many of you know that um, a missionary has like hours a day to study the scriptures. And I was uh, also a missionary who was studying, studying a language. So I had personal study for an hour. I had companion study for an hour. And then I had language study for an hour. And I usually spent all of those in the scriptures. Um, so I had this this copious amount of time. Is that how you use the yeah. word copious? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> copious valid. amount of time to study scriptures every day. And then after getting married, after Seth and I were married and we had our first child, um, I would be taking care of our little baby. And I suddenly had this huge drop in the amount of time I could spend in the scriptures. And it, I felt a ton of shame. This is what it sounded like for me. You're home all day. You should be able to read the scriptures more. Or... Like you could read the scriptures for three hours on your mission. Like, why can't you read for 10 minutes now? That's a shame filled voice. Um, and it's a voice that it's like my, my own, my own internal security system saying like alarm bells, alarm bells. Like, are you being good enough for God? Mm -hmm. Are you being good enough for the potential he sees in you? And it's almost like, I don't know. To me, this is sad because and I, I mentioned before that I'm going to do an episode about scrupulosity, which is OCD um, interfering with religion and playing into religion. And that's kind of what was happening for me in this case. But it's also very common for everybody, I think, for a lot of members of the church, that we get this idea in that moment when I'm saying, you know, you should be able to do more, you're not good enough. Would God ever say that to me? Like the God I believe in, I cannot imagine him ever saying that to anybody. Right. Like everything that I've learned about God is that he's loving and understanding and kind and that his voice would say, Erica, I understand you're taking care of one of my little children and you're sleep deprived <laughs> and you're doing all you have to hold it together. And when you try reading the scriptures, your baby cries and you need to help him. And when you pick up your scriptures, he tears a page right out of it. <laughs> he would understand. He's, he would say, I've been there. I know how that is. I know how it is to raise a child. Um, and so in those moments, like my attempt with that voice of shame 
was to push myself to goodness. But what happened instead was this constant feeling of almost of fear of God, because it started turning into this thing where I was like, if that's God's voice, he's judgmental and harsh, Mm -hmm. but God's not. And it wasn't his voice. It was shame. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I think that can happen if we allow that shame voice to, to live on unchecked. It, it can, sometimes we interpret that as, oh, God is really harsh and unforgiving and unkind. And that, that, that can be really damaging. Yeah. I got to the point because of, um, the OCD stuff that was happening in my life where I, it was such a weird thing. Cause in my mind, I still knew God's a loving father, but in practice, I started having fear of him because I had become so used to this voice of shame in my mind. And now I'm just such a firm believer that that, that voice is not God's. It never has been, and it never will be God's voice. Um, in fact, we, in the church, we often talk about how like that was Satan's first tool was shame. And so that's something that I'm a big believer in is that sometimes we think like as members of this church, we might think like, who's the common enemy or something. We might think that like, oh, well, if this church has truth, then like maybe other churches um, don't, or maybe they're the enemy, or maybe um, we kind of think there needs to be like this opposing force to us as members of the church. And my personal belief is that like God speaks to his children all around the world. He loves them all equally. And that the common enemy here is Satan. If we believe in God, we believe in Satan also, those opposing forces. And I think that where Satan shows up is where shame is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that unfortunately, even within our church buildings and our church culture, sometimes we really do invite shame in as a way of trying to motivate ourselves to be more like Christ. But I think the shame never does that job for us. And I think yeah. that shame invites in. I think that shame actually hurts a lot of people and is a reason why a lot of people have chosen to leave the church because they don't feel safety there anymore. Yeah. And I, I it's, it's a challenging thing. I think that, um, I think that, uh, something I wanted to talk about is how empathy helps diffuse shame. We talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but I think where shame really thrives in belittling self and belittling others, and I, you know, create we create shame in ourselves, and we can create shame in others by being, you know, like one of the com- points of the compass of shame is attacking others, which kind of perpetuate shame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a beautiful thing about empathy it, it is it's it's something that when we're acting out in empathy, it has positive benefits that can just be passed on because yeah. if if someone's sharing a part of themselves that maybe they're feeling insecure or shameful about something that they feel like they're a bad person, they're unworthy of of being a member of the church or of you know, they're, they're feeling unsafe or vulnerable. If you can reach out to that moment, not, not trying to fix them or be like, Oh, you're right. This is a problem with you. Let's fix it. Yeah. Uh, but being like, Hey, that's, I thank you for sharing with me. I'm glad that you're here. Yeah. And being a place of empathy where it's like, you're safe here with me. Yeah. And you can show any of those difficult feelings and emotions and thoughts here and you'll still be safe. Yeah. Because that, that just, 
that destroys shame. Mm-hmm. When you're like, your worth is unconditional, that destroys shame because shame is saying your worth is conditional. You know, right. your worth is in question. And then the voice of empathy, which I think is the voice of the savior, is this voice that says, I'm here and I see you and I accept you and that your worth is unchanging yeah. and that I'll be with you. Like I'll, I'm willing to be with you in this uncomfortable and difficult space. Just a few more thoughts on the question that Seth posed. Um, I wanted to mention two things that I think would be helpful to, to consider or talk about. One is we often use the phrase slippery slope in the church. At least when I was kind of growing up, I feel like that was commonly attached to chastity or other sins of like, it's a slippery slope. And the thing is that can be true. Like we do know in a very real sense that like, you know, experimenting with alcohol or drugs, it can be a very slippery slope and it can um, kind of catch you off guard of like, oh, this is going far fast. But I also think that sometimes we overuse this phrase and we make it seem like, you know, if I'm not always pushing myself, forcing myself into goodness, that I'm just going to like tumble down this slippery slope and become a a bad person, mm-hmm. which that seems like a shameful phrase right there, a bad person. Because, we, yeah. you know, shame tells you I am bad and people aren't, I don't think that, that we can say that. Um, people are complex beings who are all children of God and have innate worth regardless of choices and decisions. Um, but I just want to point out that sometimes we use the slippery slope analogy so much that it kind of gets in the way of teaching about Christ's atonement. I have this image that came into my mind about slippery slope and it's like the idea that imagine someone walking across the, the ridge of a hill, um, just walking along um, and there's it's raining there. The slopes are really slippery on all sides. And in order to avoid slipping, that person thinks it's a good idea to have a friend behind them hitting them with the club, telling them <laughs> to stay away from the slippery slope yes. um, so that they don't get hurt falling down the slope. So yes. they're, 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 they're getting hurt by the, like, the club. <laughs> they are. Um, and that's why a lot of people feel like they just need to jive, get down the slope to escape that, I think. Yeah, sometimes. It, it, well, it becomes a lose-lose situation. It does. You're, you're, you're getting hurt no matter what. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if, but if we, the shame's not necessary. And if we can believe the that. The shame is the club in case you didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah that was a very obscure analogy. I loved but... it. We like analogies. Yes. <laughs> so I love that idea, but it's just like the idea that what if there was a different way to talk about this? You know, instead of saying with a lot of chastity, for example, that club is, that club could be lessons where we're using shame to try to push youth into purity and goodness. And that shame can look like, ah, we've all talked, you probably talked about this before, but this is a big pet peeve of mine that I talk about too often (laughs) is chastity lessons that involve food, like cupcakes or pieces of gum or broken china, things where you show the youth, like if you break the law of chastity, um, you will be this cupcake that I just stepped on and nobody wants anymore. You were so clean and fresh before and everyone wanted you. And then you got stepped on and squished and no one wants you. So that's a shame-based teaching style. And I think that's the club style. Like, watch out for that slope, you know, bam, bam, bam. And it just, it creates this damage to our sense of worth of of who we are. Because the truth of the matter is that regardless of whether or not you break the law of chastity, God's going to love you. 
and your worth is not going to change. So what if we taught that same message in a way that inspired faith instead? Mm -hmm. And that might sound like your sexuality is a beautiful, incredible part of you. And God created it. And God created it. And he wants you to understand it and to be able to embrace it. And he has a plan for your sexuality. Mm -hmm. He has a, a plan that can bring you so much happiness. And he's given us these boundaries to help you um, have the highest chances of finding that happiness in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just ways we can reword things to say it with faith. And that'd be more like a person coming along that slippery slope with you in that from that analogy. And maybe instead of with the club, they came and held your hand and said, can I help you? Can I walk with you? You mm-hmm. know, I'm here for you. I love that. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention is we often talk about ourselves being a natural man, which is the enemy to God. We learned from the Book of Mormon. And I'm not going to deny that that's true. Like really the human nature, like human nature is we're in this weird paradox of like the spiritual part of us and then the very human part of us. But I do want to be careful how we talk about this because it perpetuates this idea that, um, that your natural tendency is evil, Mm -hmm. which I would question because I've also been taught in the gospel that I'm a child of God who chose to come here and follow the savior. And so I think sometimes we get a little too heavy on the natural man. And I'm, I'm talking about this because of the, the question Seth posed about, you know, should I use shame to push myself into righteousness? And I would say, no, I, I would say, what if we focused less on the warning of the natural man of like, you're a natural man, you're an enemy to God by nature and focused more on you're a child of God who chose to come here to the earth because of your love for the savior. Like it's already within you. Mm-hmm. You already love and honor him. And that part of you, I think is stronger than the natural man. Mm-hmm. But of course that takes effort and practicing and repentance and the savior's help. And he'll be there to help us. But I think there's, there's just so much power in how we choose to emphasize things and what perspectives we choose to take. Yeah. So Seth, thanks for being here. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me on as your guest. It was an honor to be your first guest. I hope that despite my terrible puns, I will be invited back in the future. We'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, (laughs) I also made this episode pretty long, but I really enjoyed our discussion and I I love talking about these topics. Me too. And I hope this was um, a helpful episode for you all. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm going to say, have a day. It might be a good one. It might not. And that's okay. Keep growing. Keep loving yourself. You've got this.